Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. Church and to our very special friends who are honorees today, uh, Dr. Jerry and Sister Ernestine Bryant. Before I preach this morning, uh, we just wanted to share some very special greetings uh, with our friends and with the church. And my wife will share first. Pastor Jerry and Sister Ernestine, I thank God for your 20 and more years in the ministry. One of my favorite faith rest scriptures is James chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 and it says when your faith is tested your endurance has a chance to grow so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed you will be strong in character and ready for anything today we thank God for your faithfulness We thank God for your endurance. We thank God for your strong character. And we thank God for your readiness. May God continue to bless your ministry as you continue to be ready for anything. Thank you, Judy, for sharing a great quote from a person who was a chaplain for the U.S. Senate a number of years ago, Peter Marshall. And Peter Marshall is quoted as saying, uh, life is measured not just by its donation, but its duration. And as we have this very special 20 plus celebration, anniversary celebration today, we're celebrating donation and duration. There is a passage that I wanna share with you from 2 Timothy chapter one, verses 11 through 12. This is a passage the Lord has put in my spirit as I have prayed about this day. And that passage again is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. I want to read it in the New King James Version. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, am persuaded that he is able to keep that I have committed to him until that day. Amen. Paul is sharing in this passage uh, declarations from prison. What he shares, the passage I read and its larger context, is very personal, it's passionate. And it's very principled. As a mentor and a model 
and spiritual father, his purpose in this epistle, and particularly in this first chapter, was to encourage Timothy, his, his young disciple, young pastor, who was the constant object of his affections and prayers. It is reported that Timothy was experiencing difficulties in his pastoral ministry at Ephesus. And so the, the apostle writes to lift him up, to come alongside of him, to encourage him. And as I think about his words in this passage, in this epistle, which many believe is his last official writing before his martyrdom, we have here the meaningful meditations of a mature minister, the satisfied salutation of a sanctified servant. We have the solemn sentiments of a seasoned soldier, the affectionate affirmations of an aged apostle. And I believe we have in this passage the passionate proclamations of a proven pastor. Paul's ministry, like the pastor we honor today, was timely, tenured, and tenacious. And he lasted. And the question is begged in the text. It's raised explicitly and implicitly. How did the Apostle Paul last? How did the Apostle Paul last? I'm so glad you asked. And I want to share some principles, I believe, emerge from the text as to why Paul's ministry had not only donation, but duration. First of all, the text would suggest that he was energized by his calling. Paul's ministry, and we see it in this part of the text, he says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher to the Gentiles. Paul's ministry was characterized by a transcendent, transformative, and transactional source. He was, let me put it this way, he was gripped and galvanized by something that summoned him which was external to himself. In this passage, the word appointed in our text in the original language, it carries the idea of the subject, its passive voice. The subject receives the action or the activity of the verb. And so Paul received ministry from a transcendent source. He didn't pick it up because if we pick it up, we can put it down. Your pastor did not pick it up because if he picked it up on his own, he could put it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 gives the same idea when Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says this, that this is relevant not just to ministers, but to lay people. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. In that passage, seeing we have carries the same idea of being under the influence of something, being controlled, being directed by something outside of ourselves. This was pivotal for Paul. For three times in the book of Acts, 
he recounts what happened to him on the Damascus Road. He wasn't looking to be saved. He wasn't looking to go into the ministry or to be an apostle. But God touched him in a very special way. And, and this experience, this transcendent, transformative, transactional experience became the center and the circumference of his ministry. Paul was like the ancient seamen who, when their ships were assailed by storms at sea, they instinctively took the rope from the ship and wrapped themselves around the mast of the ship so that when the waves came aboard the deck and the winds blew, there was no chance of them being washed overboard. Paul had, a, had something that galvanized and gripped him. In another affirmation of this to the church at Corinth, he once said, he says, as to preaching, I have nothing to glory of. I have nothing to glory of. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Kind of like Jeremiah. Jeremiah's call, he was called even while he was in his mother's womb and he recognized that his calling had prenatal and postnatal implications. And once when he got so frustrated and so upset, he thought about quitting. He tried to walk away from it, but the Bible says it was like fire shut up in his bones. Paul lasted because there's a calling that energizes. But there's something else in this text, not just the fact that Paul was energized by his calling, as we should be, but he was also edified by his conflicts. It says he was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And then the text says this that I read, for the which cause I also suffer these things. In this contemporary Christian landscape, People don't want to hear nothing about suffering and sacrifice. When Paul was converted on the Damascus Road, he was blinded physically, but spiritually he saw clearer than he'd ever seen before. He was directed to go to the city of Damascus, and a disciple there named Ananias was told to go to Paul and to talk to him about what God had done in his heart. And Ananias went. Ananias went to Paul, and one of the things he said to Paul is that you must suffer many things for the gospel's sake and for Jesus' name. So what the text is telling us, and I hope what we are hearing today, is that suffering was not extraneous to Paul's ministry. It was not an aberration. It was not a detour or a deviation from it. But it was a part of God's plan and purpose for Paul's life. He would say it this way to the church at Corinth. He would say, I comfort you with the comfort I've received of God. In the book of Philippians, he prays and he shares with the church there. And he talks about how he counted everything, every credential, every degree, every pedigree he has as done waste that he might win Christ. He says that I may know him. I want to know him. 
I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. If we were in prayer meeting and somebody said, Lord, send me some suffering, our lids would open. But Paul said, it's in the fellowship of his suffering I experienced the fellowship of his sufficiency. If it had not been for the Lord in my life, where would I be? Suffering was a part of God's plan for Paul. He was, he was not only energized by his calling, but he was edified by his suffering, by his conflicts. He was, let me put it this way, he was toughened by his trials. He was strengthened by his struggles. He was seasoned by his suffering. He was maturated by his misery. He was developed by his difficulties, and he was humble by his hardships. I have been intrigued by the very well-done documentary of the Grammy Award-winning singer and icon Aretha Franklin. It aired recently on National Geographic Television. It's a worthy watch. There was one scene in that series that stuck with me, that just jumped out at me, and it was a scene where the Aretha character was being interviewed and asked about why she was so guarded in her private life. The character responded by saying this, everything you need to know about me is in the music. Everything you need to know about me is in the music. That exchange reminded me of another artist who was asked about the secret of great songwriting and that artist said, if you don't already have a struggle inside of you, you have to come up with one. You have to make one up. In the Christian life, we're not left to our own devices. God, in his permissive will, he allows us to go through some things on our way to some things so he can put a song in our soul. I've thought about my own pastoral journey and my evolution as a young greenhorn preacher to a tenured pastor of over 40 years. And I thought about how I have grown in my perspectives around what God allows to happen in our lives. Because see, we all have to deal with storms. You're either in one, you're on your way to one, or you're coming out of it. But my evolution as a preacher and as a pastor around the whole perspective of storm, elementary understanding of it was God can deliver you from a storm. But then a few more years as I experienced pastoral ministry and just life, I learned he can not only deliver you from a storm, he can deliver you in a storm. Storm can still be raging and you're in the center of the storm and you're acting like nothing is going on because he's giving you the peace that passes all understanding. And then later, as I moved into these seasoned senior years of ministry, I learned not only does he deliver from the storm and in the storm, God is so good at what he does, he can deliver with a storm. I asked Job about it. Sometimes God sent a storm allows it to happen so he can take us to another level. He was energized by his calling. He was edified, strengthened 
by his conflicts. Here's the other thing that allowed him to last, that allows us to last. He was encouraged by his connection. Listen to what he says. If you read too fast, you'll miss it. He says, for I know whom I have believed. That's in the text. I'm not making it up. He says, for I know whom I have believed. The apostle Paul lasted as a pastor, as an apostle. I believe my dear friend and Pastor Brian and his wife, they've lasted because not only have they been energized by the call on their lives and edified by the conflicts, but they have been encouraged by a personal connection. What makes Christianity Christianity is it's a personal relationship. That's why the gospel writer Matthew, and he only gives us this personal dimension. He has Jesus saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of heart and you shall find rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The noted Jewish theologian Martin Buber once said there are two kinds of relationships. I eat relationships and I thou relationship. Your relationship to your house, to your car, to your job, to the clothes in your closet, to your gym membership. That's an it relationship, and it won't get you through the storm. You have to have an I-thou relationship. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. What authenticates our ministry, what authenticates our calling is this personal dimension because God blesses us to be a blessing. It's in the context of that vertical relationship to him that mesmerizes and motivates us that we can have a healthy horizontal ministry in the life of others. One poet said, there are heavenly heights to be reached in many a fearful place where the poor timid heir of God lies blindly on his face, lies languishing for grace divine, which he shall never see till he go forth at thy sign and trust himself or herself to thee. That's what my friend has done. You've seen his labor. He has trusted himself to God. And when you do that, you can do what David said. When everybody else fall off, when circumstances deteriorate, when you seem like you are backed up against the wall and have no friend in the world, you can do as David did in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 30. You can encourage yourself in the Lord. At the end of this epistle, this letter we've read from that is the focus of our text, Paul talks about his trial before Caesar. And he says this, he says, all men forsook me. This is in chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. He says, all men forsook me. And you think, oh, that's so bad. That's just terrible. But he puts a conjunction in there. He says, but God stood with me. The Lord stood with me. And when you have this personal connection, you can last. Because when ministry or when leadership requires you to make decisions 
and leaves you all by yourself, the Lord will stand with you. So he was energized by his calling. He was edified by his conflicts. He was encouraged by his connection, his personal connection. I hope you see that. But he was also, this is my last point here today, he was emboldened by his confidence. In this last part of the text, he says, I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto his hands against that day. The transactional nature of the apostles' ministry moves to the center stage because what he's acknowledging here is that he's made some deposits, sacred deposits into God's escrow account. And he's certain, he's absolutely positively certain that these deposits are safe. I think perhaps he was thinking of Psalm 121 where David talked about that, how safe what we put in God's hands is. He said, the Lord is my keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not spite thee by day or the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve. And I love this. It's bumper to bumper coverage. He, he will preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. When I think about the fact that Paul, even though he was facing martyrdom, possibility of execution, he was emboldened, he was enlivened by this confidence that gripped his life and that stabilized him in this prison predicament. When I think about it, on this very special day that you honor my friend, I want to remind him today, I honor him, of our first visit to the National Space Museum there in Chantilly. First visit, he'd gone before, but as a wonderful host to me, he wanted me to experience it. And we went over to the National Air and Space Museum there. And I want him to remember how we toured and we looked at all the exhibits and the seemingly endless parade of aircraft that was on display at the museum. They were all part of the incredible story of the history of aviation and space travel in this country. Pastor, you remember we saw the 1903 original Wright Brothers Flyer. We saw the Boeing B-29 Super Fortress, the Enola Game, which was adapted from its original use, adapted to drop the first atomic bomb on the Japanese city of Hiroshima, which brought an end to World War II. You remember we saw it. We saw the Concorde jet, which flew at supersonic speeds before it was retired from London to New York City and back again. And the price at that time was $10,000 for a round trip ticket. We saw and we spent a lot of time there the Space Shuttle Discovery, which completed 39 manned missions into outer space 
and was a favorite of the astronaut corps, which was brought from California to the museum in Chantilly atop a B-757 airline. None of that is what's in my spirit today. Because what I want us both to remember and what I want you to be emboldened by and encouraged by and the church to be strengthened by is what happened near the end of our tour. I remember as if it was yesterday, one of our group in our tour asking the tour guide who was a retired fighter pilot and who had flown combat missions in Korea and in Vietnam. Someone asked him the question. Someone asked him the question. Which of the planes we saw today in the tour was your favorite plane? I'll never forget he said, my favorite plane, he didn't specify anyone in particular, but he said, my favorite plane was the one that got me home. My favorite plane was the one that got me home. Continue to trust in the one that will get you home. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.